0: For those of you who know about this program, you know, when this song plays, something's wrong. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong, right? This political war that goes on across the United States on a daily basis is completely based on race. that was on display starting last friday I mean i look i mean as somebody who grew up in the in the 60s and watched the civil rights movement who doesn't have a racist bone in their body watching this that the only thing that matters is your skin color it's amazing You know how anybody who watches a trial that is about self-defense in a white-on-white crime, how that morphs into a racial incident. The facts of the case completely ignored by those quote-unquote journalists that are supposed to report it? Report, technical term in journalism, report. These are the facts. And then the inability of the nation to have a civil discussion about it, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, at one time, you know, what what, what was Doctor King's, you know, lament? I want my children to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of your, their skin. So we were we were striving to live in a in a world where color was irrelevant. And now the only thing that matters is color. And so good morning on this Monday. show will be a little bit different today. I want to play for you the best thing I've heard, the best commentary I've heard about all of this, how deep the problem is and where the problem comes from. And it's by a guy named Glenn Greenwald. Uh, Glenn Greenwald... Is gay. He's a liberal. He started a website called The Intercept, right? He is um, inextric- inextricably woven into the, what's the guy, the WikiLeaks guy? Julian Assange, right? He's inextricably woven into that as somebody who began reporting on that. And so, and so, he's a liberal. And one of the craziest phenomenons that you're seeing is there's um, there's liberal commentators now that sound like conservatives. Greenwald is one of them, and he t- and 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 the thing you're going to hear. He talks about principles, principles like trial by jury, principle like the facts matter, principles like the truth has to come out, and the system that is here in the United States has hundreds of years of legal precedent that drive jury trials in, those, in, in that direction, all of it ir- irrelevant today. And then he talks about who drives this inflammation of the nation and for what purpose and it's going to it's going to shock you not one bit right who drives it big technology companies drive it big media companies drive it for profit that's their niche it's what they do and then they bring on all their people that will talk about issues only through the lens of race. And so, starting last Friday, been pretty uh astounding, probably not the right word, that this is how unprincipled our country is. That And Greenwald talks about, you'll hear him say, like if you sat and you watched the trial and you understand the law, you understand that this kid is not a white supremacist. He says whether you agree with the fact that a a 17-year-old should be out with a weapon in that situation, he was washing graffiti off walls. He knew first aid. In his own mind, he's going there to help. But he's going armed because he knows something bad might happen and he wants to be able to defend himself. He said, that does not make you a white supremacist. The fact that he, he supports the police and Blue Lives Matter, that doesn't make you a white supremacist. The fact that he may, like Donald Trump, does not make you a white supremacist. He said, but that was the narrative that went with this from one and to include presidential candidates plural. And so he said and and that's all people knew. He he lives in Brazil now. He said people that I know in Brazil and you'll hear him say this, but he said they were they were livid. He said one of the major newspapers here in Brazil did not know that the victims were white. Actually wrote that the victims were black. And we're stunned when they learned the truth. He said because the entire body of reporting omitted the fact intentionally to drive a narrative that the victims were white, that this was a white-on-white crime. Why? Because that doesn't fit the narrative. And that's where we sit (laughs) this week of Thanksgiving. And... I will tell you this. Um, the story about the parade in Wisconsin that some unnamed person drove into. There's a reason that that person hasn't been named or described yet. Because there's websites who have ample evidence of who this person is. So I don't want to say too much about that. But that's the world we live in now. Consumed by race. And the, the the motive that the people who fund all this, their motive, street sweeper goes by on Monday morning, yeah, right about this time, is profit. It's how we're going to stay in business, boys and girls. The truth? Doesn't matter. So anyway, happy Thanksgiving. Um, you're going to hear Glenn Greenwald in a few minutes. Uh, the United States Marine Corps Band uh, makes this morning official. I, I mean, it's a sad morning, honestly. I mean, that's what I feel. I watch this. And I, to me, it's just head shaking that this is the United States that I grew up in. On that note, good morning. <laughs> dedicated to people like Glenn Greenwald, who will use their platform in a very, very polarized time as a liberal to talk about things that are true, values that bind us as Americans that are being ripped apart by this false narrative that gets shoved down everybody's throat. And I'm sure he does it at great personal expense to himself because they hate him. You can imagine that. This guy who's a liberal, who's calling this entire narrative out. And and the other guy who does it is, you know, a guy that I never really liked, you know, his snarky ass. But Bill Maher stands up for the truth. And so God bless him. God bless what they do, at some point, you know, you hope that, you know, some profit-driven organization creates another news organization that is about integrity, is about truth, is about quality reporting, and can make that go as a viable, ongoing, commercial concern, right? And so, um, in fact, I I saw somebody who's in the parent company of CNN. And here's the article right here. Liberty Media chairman tried CNN to actually have journalists following AT&T Discovery merger. This guy named John Malone. Liberty Media Chairman John Malone, who sits on the Discovery Communications Incorporated Board of Directors, wants to see left-wing CNN revert back to nonpartisan journalism following the completion of a merger that would put the liberal network under the, the Discovery umbrella. Quote, I would like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with and actually have journalists which would be unique and refreshing, Malone said in an interview that aired on CNBC this past Thursday. And let me see if I can make this work. I would like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with and uh, you know, actually have journalists, which would be unique and refreshing. I think uh, a coward's way out would be to sell it. <laughs> Or spin it off and then sell it. Do it. And- so that that is that appeared on CNBC and obviously talking about the business angle of all of that. So um, so yeah. Can you imagine if the majority of Americans got their news from quality news organizations? But I again I after watching. The craziness of this last weekend—it's amazing. It's amazing. So, um, so it's dedicated to people like Glenn Greenwald that that call this out, and at per, at their own personal expense, and call us to remember who we are and our values, and that those those values apply to everybody.
1: Challenging conditions and odds, to win. You got
0: to win. Check the news. I'll read you the headlines, and then you'll hear from Glenn Greenwald. In, in what to me is the most well-done thing I've heard. It's a lot. It lasts about 50 minutes, 49 minutes exactly. So you get to hear that. And I would encourage you, don't listen to it. It's good. Currently, it is partly sunny and 50 in Quantico. It is cloudy down the coast at Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. 20, 29 Palms, it's cold. Sunny and 52. Oceanside, sunny and 62. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy, 75. Okinawa, dark cloudy, 65. Manila is dark cloudy and 81, and Darwin is dark clear in 83 at the home of All Marine Radio. It is 60 under fair skies. Looking for a high of 84 today here locally. 67 tomorrow, 70 on Wednesday, 78 on Thanksgiving, and 81 on Friday. That is a uh, look at your weather. The top stories in uh, early bird today, relative to the Department of Defense, are the um, Russia is preparing to to attack the Ukraine by late January. That is according to the Ukrainian Defense Intelligence Agency chief. So uh, I saw another headline and Vladimir Putin says, oh, it's just America stirring up a bunch of hysteria. Uh, second headline. US defense chief vows to counter Iran in visit to Bahrain. How? <laughs> how? How would we stop Iran from doing this? We don't seem to be able to. How would we stop North Korea? We don't be able we, we don't seem to be able to do that either. So I'm curious. Um how he thinks what is the path? to this short of war next headline thousands of afghans evacuated during u.s withdrawal are awaiting resettlement that's in the washington post next benefits for cancers believed caused by burn pit exposures won't likely start before the summer of 2022 um and then one more story student pilot killed two injured in a T-38C mishap at Laughlin Air Force Base. So that is in the Air Force time. So student pilot. Um, Overseas operational headlines. Number one, the Taliban is no partner, says top U.S. Special Operations Commander. Two, Afghan evacuees could wait years for a chance to reach the United States. Next, Henry Kissinger doesn't see China as an immediate military threat to Taiwan. Number four, Britain bolsters ties with Poland and the Ukraine amid jitters in Eastern Europe. So, that is a look at your headline. Now, without further ado, I saw this. I don't even know how I saw the headline, but Glenn Greenwald is... Um, pretty prominent uh, journalist. and, um, And he's chosen to use his platform to discuss principles that make the United States what it is and how far away the American media, which he is a part of, is from those principles and why it has gotten so far, what the problem is. And he even discusses where he thinks this takes us. So without any, without further ado, Glenn Greenwald.
1: Hey, everyone, this is Glenn Greenwald, and we are here on our live stream after what was obviously a very dramatic moment. In the courthouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where the jury, after deliberating for an unusually long period of time, almost the entire week, four full days, four and a half, came back with a verdict. And the verdict was in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, not guilty on all five counts. As you probably know, the judge earlier in the trial dismissed the charge of him having carried a gun illegally because the gun that he possessed under the law was too small to meet the requirements of the criminal statute, so there was no way to find him guilty on that. The remaining counts were for intentional murder in the cases of the two white individuals whom he shot and killed, uh, intentional attempted murder in the the case of the person um, who he shot and wounded, um, who was also white, and then uh, reckless endangerment of lives in the case of the two people at whom he shot and missed and now obviously this has been a trial that has generated extreme levels of emotion i know just by having gone on and made clear uh not only what the verdict was but what my view was having watched the actual trial namely that this was the just verdict based solely on the evidence the amount of both ecstasy on the one hand from people who were hoping for an acquittal but also the amount of contempt and hatred and rage and indignation aimed at me and lots of other people for those who are hoping for a conviction was far more intense than the normal trial, criminal trial or civil trial would generate. And there's reasons for that, that I think are very disturbing, particularly the fact that the narrative that has been constructed by the national media around this case, almost from the start was not just completely fictitious and unrelated to the evidence, but was designed to be as inflammatory as possible. From the very beginning, the narrative was that this 17-year-old white kid who was a white supremacist terrorist crossed state lines in order to go somewhere implied that he had nothing to do with when in fact it was a community, Kenosha, Wisconsin, right over the border where he lived that he had substantial ties to, where he had worked, where his parents had lived, where his relatives had lived, where he had spent the day, where his friends lived, that he had a lot of connections to. Crossing state lines was this technicality that happens when you live on the border, not some nefarious act, but they would stress that he crossed state lines as though he was going looking to a, a neighborhood that he, or a community in which he had no involvement or to which he had no connection and he just indiscriminately shot whoever he could find that was absolutely the narrative you can find viral tweets from members of congress like Guyana presley the day that it happened the next day obviously there's no way in a complex situation like that with lots of shooting going on to know the truth so definitively and yet they didn't care they asserted the truth as though they knew exactly what happened and what they claimed what happened was what happened Was that a white supremacist terrorist had gone and indiscriminately murdered people, a 17 year old white kid. And this narrative was carried through with so much united force by the media. And it was so deliberate. News outlets that always tell you what the victim of the race, the, the race of the victim is. If there's a police shooting and the victim is black, or there's a Uh, political fight and someone gets injured and the victim is a racial minority or is LGBT or is Asian or anything else, the media will highlight that and stress that to racialize the narrative as much as possible. In this case, the media hid, barely mentioned, I mean, you can find some accounts buried in it, but many news articles, long news articles would go out of their way, not to mention the fact that the three people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot were all white because obviously that is contrary to their narrative. It's an important journalistic fact. If you're going to racialize the event by claiming that this was a white supremacist, it's kind of relevant if he's engaged in white supremacist terrorism, that he goes to a place where there's people of every race, including many, many black people, and the people that he shoots are only white. That kind of calls into question was his motive actually white supremacist terrorist if the people that he shot weren't black or other minorities but white? So they just buried it, concealed it to the point that many major media outlets around the world didn't know that the people that he shot were white. This week in Brazil, the largest newspaper in Brazil, Folio of Sao Paulo, which is a very responsible and solid, competent professional news organization, I've worked with them before, I know a lot of reporters who work in that news organization, published a major article about the Rittenhouse story, and they specifically and explicitly stated that the people that Kyle Rittenhouse killed were two black men. The headline of the story was, white youth who shot and killed two black men on trial. They didn't know that they were lying. They got that from the US media. That was the impression the US media deliberately created And so there are millions of people indignant that Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted, not because they evaluated the evidence at the trial, many of them, I would bet you most of them, the vast, vast majority of them did not watch much of the trial or any of the trial at all. They don't see this as a case where the state has the responsibility to prove guilt beyond beyond a reasonable doubt before sending an 18-year-old Uh, person, a citizen to prison for the next three decades or four decades of the rest of his life as just a criminal matter where the state has a constitutional burden that has to meet before they, they don't care about any of that, which is why they have such strong opinions about it, despite having not watched the trial. They see this as just a proxy for a political war. Now, from the very beginning, the idea that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist, never had any evidentiary basis. Even if he were a white supremacist, you should be happy that he was acquitted if the state failed to prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. In the United States, being a white supremacist is not actually a crime. But obviously calling him a white supremacist primed the public to view this with a kind of violent impulse that this was a question of whether or not white supremacists have a right to murder, which obviously after the wake of George Floyd is an extremely volatile question if you create around this trial. And the evidence that he was a white supremacist consisted of nothing valid. But if you say to media figures who called him a white supremacist, how is it that you can justify having done that? They will point to the following evidence. Number one, he was a gun enthusiast. Number two, he seemed to have an affinity for the police. He wanted to go work for the police. He had posted um, slogans, pro-police slogans like "Blue Lives Matter." And number three, he had posted positive—he uh, he had posted positive um, sentiments about the uh, positive sentiments about Donald Trump. That is all you need in order to claim that someone is a white supremacist. They have pro-police sentiment that they. Uh, have um, expressed uh, pro-Trump sentiments as well. So this whole narrative that he was a white supremacist was negated by both the evidence that they pointed to. You can actually be pro-police because you're a white supremacist, but you can also be pro-police because you're not, because you believe the crime is bad and that the police are there to protect you. you. can have a reasonable debate about that without being a racist. You can be a gun enthusiast without being a white supremacist. There are lots of gun enthusiasts who are black, Latino, Asian, and other races who are obviously not white supremacists. You can actually be a supporter of Donald Trump's without being a white supremacist, but that's not how the media sees it. So right away, this whole narrative that he was a white supremacist from the start was both incredibly baseless, but remarkably inflammatory. And I personally... Having Maybe it's because I worked in the justice system as a lawyer for more than a decade. Um, I know that in a complex case like what happened, it is virtually impossible to figure out what happened in the definitive way until a jury trial, which is structured and designed over centuries to surface truth not to allow little video snippets that appear on Twitter out of context with a framing by ideological actors, but to actually examine in the full scope of the context of the truth with all kinds of tools to ensure that truth is determined, cross-examination, rules of evidence to exclude unreliable evidence, to ensure the admissibility of reliable evidence, perjury for witnesses. I know that unless you sit and watch that full trial, There really is no way to opine in confidence about what happened. Now you as a citizen certainly have the right to form opinions based on videos. The videos did seem to show that the only people that he shot at were people who in some way were targeting him. It was obvious from the start that he didn't just go and indiscriminately pick people out of the crowd to shoot them. So I don't blame people who formed an opinion, but as a journalist, as someone with a public platform, I did not feel confident, comfortable Opining about this case until I was able to have the benefit of sitting and watching the trial. And as I sat and watched the trial, what became indisputably clear to me was regardless of what you think about the choice and wisdom of a 17-year-old picking up an AR-15 and going to a protest, Obviously, there are a lot of people who think that was some kind of noble and courageous, a brave thing to do to protect the community. Other people think it was incredibly reckless. I personally would prefer not to have a society where 17-year-olds are walking around with AR-15s, especially ones who aren't particularly trained in how to use them or in the security. But that, leaving that question aside about the wisdom of whether he should have gone, that wasn't what the trial was about. The trial was about whether he was guilty of murder, whether he had, he had the intention under the law to kill someone without... The justifiable excuse of self-defense, what I learned at the trial definitively, which for me became dispositive, was that the only people that he shot were people that he perceived reasonably were in some way posing a threat to him. Um, And the reasons why that obviously is so important is because what it, it goes to... His intent. It means that he wasn't there to shoot people. He didn't want to shoot people. He shot only at those people he felt it was necessary to shoot at in order to prevent his own life from being taken, beginning with Joseph Rosenbaum, who, although he wasn't armed, we've all seen the video of how he was behaving, almost asking to be shot, looking for confrontation, having just been released from psychiatric custody with a long history of criminality behind him. He didn't seem to me to be there in support of Black Lives Matter. He seemed to me to be there looking for trouble, which again, is not a crime. But Kyle Rittenhouse didn't shoot him even when Joseph Rosenbaum threatened to kill him and said, if I find you alone, I'm gonna kill him. Kyle Rittenhouse didn't shoot him then. Kyle Rittenhouse shot him only when Joseph Rosenbaum was chasing him and Kyle Rittenhouse was trying to run away from him and he caught up to him and tried to take his gun. And Kyle Rittenhouse perceived in that moment reasonably that had Joseph Rosenbaum taken his gun, he would have succeeded in using it to kill Kyle Rittenhouse and others based on the threats Joseph Rosenbaum had had already issued. Once that happened, once Kyle Rittenhouse shot the person who had threatened to kill him, who chased him, who tried to take his gun, that changed everything. That meant that other people who might have had good intentions or maybe they didn't perceived that Kyle Rittenhouse was an active shooter. And they then decided that they were going to try and stop him, maybe because they wanted to be heroes, maybe out of benevolent uh, intentions to protect other people. But in order to do that, they threatened him as well. One hit him over the head with a skateboard twice. There was just a case this week where an activist died at a protest because another activist on the other side beat him over the head with the skateboard that can actually kill you. And then the person that he wounded actually took out a gun and he testified that at first he put up his hands like this. And when he put up his hands like that, Joseph uh, Kyle Rittenhouse did not shoot. It was only once according to his own testimony. He then aimed the gun at Kyle Rittenhouse to Kyle Rittenhouse shoot him believing that he was about to be shot. So. It is a tragedy, a genuine tragedy, that we are now incapable as a society of watching a trial and judging based on the evidence whether or not someone should be convicted of murder and have the state do to them the most drastic thing a state can do to a citizen, which is deprive them of their liberty, let alone for decades or the rest of their lives. The only thing a state can do to a person worse than that is kill them which happens with a guilty verdict or through the illegal use of force. It is a disgrace, a shame, a tragedy that I know that I cannot go and opine about my assessment of the evidence, having spent hours watching this trial without many, many people accusing me of or believing that I really didn't assess the evidence, that I'm only Defending the justness of the verdict, the acquittal, because I sympathize with or am a supporter of white supremacy, which apparently they believe is Kyle Rittenhouse's ideology. It is horrific that we're at the point where what used to be commonplace, that we all believe that the state shouldn't imprison people unless they prove their guilt by a reasonable doubt, is something that is now not even part of this discourse in any way. It's simply two sides of a political war and you believe in acquittal or conviction based on which side you choose. And if you choose acquittal, it means you're choosing the side of right-wing extremism and white supremacy. And people cannot get past that, that political prism. Just as I wrote this week on my Substack, people also cannot get past the uh, inability to, for example, judge whether or not We should be cheering the fact that the FBI is targeting James O'Keefe without reference to whether they like James O'Keefe and have an inability to assess the press freedom issues at stake. The same thing with the January 6th defendants. People cannot assess whether or not we should be putting nonviolent protesters into prison for four years, as was just done yesterday by the Q Shaman, somebody who even the government admits never used violence. It's only about whether which side you're on. And if you're on the side of good liberals, you cheer a nonviolent protester going to prison for four years. And if you're on the side of white supremacy and right-wing extremism, then you denounce what used to be commonplace on the left, which is the idea that we imprison nonviolent prisoners, uh, protesters for a long period of time. In this Rittenhouse case, we have become completely unmoored from the only things that actually should matter, which is, did the state provide enough evidence to convince a jury of his peers, that he was guilty of murder beyond a reasonable doubt. That was the only prism through which I watched this trial and the only prism that shaped my views. And yet there's almost no way to convince people that you've looked at the trial that way because they are not looking at the trial that way. They're looking at it through a strictly ideological and political lens. They want the blood of this 18 year old, his head on a pike, because they perceive that he represents an ideology that they dislike, that they actually now want to be criminalized. The same reason they're happy that one six defendants are going to prison, even if they committed no violence, the crime is an ideological and a political one, not actually a legal or a criminal or an evidentiary one. And I really believe that the prime villain here, the prime villain is the corporate media. It is the corporate media that created this narrative and United to defend it, even though it had no basis in truth from the start. And as evidence emerged, it continued to be eroded until the point where it was destroyed and yet they never to this very moment abandoned it. The narrative that Kyle Rittenhouse was like Dylan Roof, that he picked up a gun because he hated black people and he went to a gathering not in order to help keep the peace, but in order to just indiscriminately shoot at people out of racist hatred, they turned him into Dylan Roof. Which is why if you defend Kyle Rittenhouse, you instantly get accused of white supremacy, even though it's very difficult looking at it rationally to see what component there was to this criminal trial that was racial in nature when you have a white kid shooting three white people. But the media racialized it on purpose injected it with this broad scale importance, made it a test case of whether or not racism and white supremacy in this country continues to be treated with impunity, whether you're allowed to murder if you're a white supremacist. And so of course, we're now gonna have lots of social unrest and angry protests that are almost certain to turn violent. Of course, why wouldn't we? If you were somebody who listened to MSNBC, over the last year and a half, or CNN, or read the New York Times op ed page, or the Washington Post op ed page, or followed digital liberal writers on social media, and you were convinced by what they've been selling you, which is that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist terrorist who went and deliberately murdered people out of racist hatred. And now he's exonerated because the criminal justice system that we have isn't fair, but is designed to protect white supremacy. If you were someone who actually believed that on some level, it almost might be rational to go out into the street and at least be enraged, if not violent. The media wanted that, they want this. They provoked this by lying about this case from the start. And like I said, I didn't have the full realization of how wide and distant the media narrative was from the truth until I watched the trial and that was why i spent the last two weeks urging everybody that if you're going to opine on this case at least watch the trial if you can't watch the full trial because you have a full-time job it's understandable sit at night and go on youtube and watch the critical parts watch the key witnesses testify watch kyle rittenhouse testify on his own behalf and be cross-examined watch the person who he shot and survived testify listen to the arguments from both sides and make up your own mind. I was urging people to do that precisely because I know that what they were connecting to instead was this incredibly inflammatory and violent media narrative that was driven by their obsession with racializing the United States and tearing apart the citizenry based on race. And perhaps one fact that's being overlooked about this, and I see this perhaps more clearly because I live in a foreign country in Brazil, is that this has become internationalized. The United States continues despite not being as powerful as it once was, despite not being the unchallenged hegemonic superpower with China rising and other countries competing culturally and and, and in terms of political discourse, the United States continues to have great force in how other people in other countries perceive their own society. And I watched here in Brazil, people with very strong opinions about the Rittenhouse trial. Half of them barely speak English. They obviously didn't watch the trial. And half of them had no clue about even the most basic facts, and yet they were adamant adamant that this is a murderer and a white supremacist terrorist who deserved to go to prison without knowing the first thing about what actually happened. And the reason for that is, is because they were connected to the American media and the Brazilian media was connected to the American media and picked up on this false narrative. Now, I just want to say like when I'm, when I'm saying that what matters is the evidence, I want to apply that to myself as well. I don't think it's necessary to talk about whether or not you see Kyle Rittenhouse as heroic or reckless. Like I was saying before, I personally don't think it's a good idea for 17-year-olds to go and pick up an AR-15 and go into a situation that is likely to be tumultuous, if not violent, especially when they have no training in how to do that. I don't think that's a wise thing to do. I wouldn't want my own child doing that. If my own child said, I'm 17, I'd like to pick up an AR-15 and go and protect this community, I would say to them, if you wanna go do that, go join the police, Go, go be trained in security before you go do something like that. So I'm not here to turn Kyle Rittenhouse into a hero. I don't think that question matters at all to the trial, to the question. The question was whether he's guilty of murder, whether he should go to prison for the next 30 or 40 years. And the answer so clearly to me after having paid attention was no. And so now we're gonna have a situation were millions of people who didn't watch the trial, who purposely are trained to tune out people like me, who have an opinion that's a sense from the liberal orthodoxy, who are told that whatever they hear from news outlets with a different view should be instantly disregarded and they should confine themselves to their bubble of like-minded consensus. And they will hear tonight, Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon, and Chris Hayes, and Joy Reid, and Wolf Blitzer, and the string of pundits whom they bring on, all of whom will have the same opinion, denouncing this verdict as fundamentally unjust, and as proof that the United States is a foundationally racist country where white supremacy is actually legal. And they're going to believe it because they continue to trust these people, the people that they have been lied to by so many times. We just this week had this huge reckoning about Russiagate, where because the main source for the Steele dossier was indicted by the FBI for lying about virtually everything, the media is now having to come and admit, because there's no longer a way out of it, that for four years they propped up a dossier that was completely fraudulent. You would think. That would start to erode the trust and faith that people have in the pronouncements that they hear from these people, but it doesn't because those people have the ideology that that audience wants and they don't care if they're being lied to. They want their, they want their ideological presuppositions flattered, even if it means doing so with falsehoods. Now I see a lot of you in the chat asking about the question of defamation and whether Kyle Rittenhouse can sue people for defamation. My guess is. It's very academic because if you think about what he's been through since August of 2020, my guess is his first thought is not, I wanna go back into a courtroom and relitigate all of these things, which is what would have to happen if he sued people for defamation. This is why I was so repulsed to my core by the media uniting to mock his crying and weeping on the stand as he recounted having shot three people. Because if you're just a basically decent human being, looking at another human being with any minimal empathy, even if you believe Kyle Rittenhouse has a politics and ideology that you think is pernicious, and even if you believe you think that he committed crimes that he ought to be going to prison for, Basic empathy should make you understand that if you're 17, which is what he was at the time, and you shoot three people, killing two of them, even if it's totally justifiable and you believe it's totally justifiable, that's an incredibly traumatic thing to do to pump bullets into three different human beings and kill two of them. It's traumatic for people who are trained for years to do that in the military. And they go to war and they come back with post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a very real symptom. It's not just whining. It is difficult to end the life of another human being by pumping bullets into their body, let alone for a 17 year old who has no training. And he did that. He then spent the next year and a half being vilified and demonized by a media making claims about him that were completely false about his white supremacy, about him being a terrorist. And he was barred from responding because his lawyers told him wisely that he couldn't speak up publicly. And then he was charged with multiple counts of murder and had to know for the last year of his life that if he's found guilty, he's going to spend the next several decades caught up in the court system or probably in prison and that will follow him around for the... What 18-year-old in that situation, having gone through all of that, watching their own mother 15 feet away, would not break down in tears at some point while recounting what happened? What, how monstrous and sociopathic do you have to be to disbelieve that a boy that age who went through all of that would be crying only because he was faking? I just watched as he listened to the verdicts be read and he was acquitted on all five counts. He was a free person and he collapsed on the ground, physically collapsed. He was standing on his feet and couldn't stand any longer and began weeping because of course the weight of the emotional burden Is intense and genuine, and yet these goons and ghouls in the media were in such a mode of hatred and demonization that they demonized him as subhuman, somebody who would never cry in this situation except to manipulate the jury. Joy Reid had a monologue she put on Twitter about the manipulation and the grotesque power of white tears, claiming that it was just something that he was faking. This is the climate that this case has been stewing in this cauldron of hatred and racial division. And I don't see a way out of that at the moment. It's very difficult to see how this doesn't end in some kind of serious civil strife. More businesses getting burned down to the ground owned by immigrants, owned by black people, owned by by brown people, in marginalized and poor communities, more clashes with the police, more entrenched anger and rage a greater cycle of violence at that rage, all fueled by the decision by corporate media outlets to stop being journalists reporting facts and instead transform themselves into agents of propaganda. I'll just give you one example of the media outlet that I co-founded and then left. And you can find a ton of examples like this, but it was so extreme. The Intercept is obsessed with race. Every article that they write practically has an angle of race, even if it's not apparent how it relates to race. Any single time a police officer shoots a a non-white person, the headline, let alone the article, will repeatedly emphasize the race of the victim to get you to be angry about the racism and white supremacy that fuels violence against non-white people. They published last week a article that was thousands of words by Natasha Leonard, 2,000, 3,000 were a very long article about the Rittenhouse case. The primary argument of which was that what was on trial was not Kyle Rittenhouse, but white supremacy, fascism, and right-wing terrorism. The word white appeared 20 times in that article, 20 times. Each time to describe the race of Kyle Rittenhouse, but mostly to describe his ideology as being white supremacist, white racist, white supremacist, white fascist. At no point did the race obsessed intercept that can barely talk about clothes or travel or food without reference to race. At no point did this article mention in all of that space that the people he shot were white. They did that on purpose, on purpose as so many other media outlets did because they are not acting as journalists. Obviously, if you're acting as journalists, you want to disclose all the facts you think are relevant. They obviously think that the race of victims are relevant in a racially uh, themed case because they use it and disclose it all the time. They chose not to in this case because it conflicted with their narrative. And that's what these media outlets did over and over and over. They are feeding racialized hatred to people for two reasons, one, Ideological, that's how they see the world, and they believe their political party and their ideology will be served by everyone being convinced that everything is racist and white supremacist. But also, number two, it's a professional and profit motive. Racialized themes are very emotionally fraught. They keep people glued to the screen. They keep people angry. So... The reason there was so much interest in the Rittenhouse criminal trial, there's criminal trials all the time that are fascinating, that are ignored. This one got so much attention because the media purposely made it interesting, made it emotionally fraught and provocative by lying about what happened and by racializing it from start to finish. And whatever violence ends up happening, by people who go out into the street with a completely false perception of what actually took place in that, in that, on that day in in Kenosha. Last August, and in that courtroom, whatever violence, whatever social unrest happens, the media will have that responsibility on their hands because they're the ones who have purposely put into people's brains the false ideology, the false prism that has fueled that. So, as far as the question of Kyle Rittenhouse and suing media outlets for defamation, it's very difficult to do. He's probably a public figure at this point. The uh, Events in which he engaged were obviously in the public interest. He did shoot three people and killed two. That makes the defamation standard high. But in order to go and sue media outlets for defamation, for calling him a white supremacist, he's going to have to open up his own whole life to all kinds of discovery and investigation. He's going to spend all of his days in courtroom testifying again, unlike when you're a criminal defendant and you have the right to remain silent. You don't actually have the right uh, in order to do that Um, As a plaintiff in a defamation suit, you are forced to sit for hours in depositions and answer questions about your entire life, about your criminal uh, or your psychological treatment. People get your psychological records. If you're claiming emotional distress, they get your family's financial records. It's a very, very difficult, stressful thing to do. I actually do think people should start to sue media outlets more for defamation. I've been saying for a long time that People who have been accused over the past five years casually and baselessly of being a Russian agent, a Kremlin agent, a clandestine uh, tool of the Kremlin should start suing Democratic Party operatives and media outlets who do that because you shouldn't be allowed to just smear people's reputations and destroy people's reputations with false allegations. I've actually thought myself about suing in the most egregious cases, notwithstanding the fact that I'm definitely a public figure and it's designed to make it so difficult because I think it's way past time for the media to have greater accountability for what they do. I don't know Kyle Rittenhouse. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what his situation is in terms of his psyche, in terms of his emotional state. I imagine it's very difficult. He has a lot to do in trying to recover his life. So my guess is if he were to walk into my office, if I were a lawyer, if I were a friend of his and he were seeking my advice, I would probably tell him, leave that to other people, that fight. You probably want to get on and with your life, there's not a lot of benefit. You have to show if you want to win money that you've been financially damaged. My guess is now that he's been acquitted, the opposite will be true. He'll have opportunities in media to work for people. He'll become a somewhat of a celebrity. I think it's a very difficult thing to ask an 18 year old who's been through all this to now go and fight that fight against the media by suing them for defamation if he wants to if he decides to i would be supportive and I'd be behind him but i think it's you have to realize what a difficult ask that is it's it's structured on purpose to be very difficult to sue media outlets we probably want that we want media outlets to be able to freely debate things without living in fear they're going to be constantly sued especially about public matters but on the other hand we don't want them to be able to just blatantly lie about people as they did about Kyle Rittenhouse and ask in claiming over and over that he is um, a white supremacist I see people asking about the ACLU do not expect the ACLU to come out in defense of Kyle Rittenhouse's rights as the defendant My guess is the ACLU will continue in their cowardly posture and say nothing if they were to say something. I think it's infinitely more likely. Infinitely more likely that they would denounce the acquittal. And say that this proves yet again that we live in a racist society where white people are free to go murder with impunity than it is if they would take the side of civil liberties and a defendant. I haven't seen the ACLU take a position on purpose, I'm sure they're avoiding it. You might've noticed today that uh, you might've noticed today. Oh, actually there is, I, I just see, there is now a statement by the ACLU. It says breaking Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty of the fatal shooting of two and injury of another during the protest over the shooting of Jacob Blake by the Kenosha police department. The situation represents an outrageous failure to protect protesters in the Kenosha police department in Kenosha County Sheriff's office months of research. And open records requests have uncovered many incidents in which police encourage white male, white militia members to become armed vigilantes in the street due to their failure to control the crowd. Despite Kyle Rittenhouse's conscious decision to travel across state lines and injure one person and take the lives of two people protesting the shooting of Jacob Blake by police, he was not held responsible for his actions. Unfortunately, this is not surprising. His acquittal comes after our investigation exposed how Kenosha law enforcement used violence against protesters and drove them toward white militia groups in ways that escalated tensions and almost certainly led to these shootings. It is far too easy to overlook the impact that violence in defense of white supremacy. It is far too easy to overlook the impact that violence in defense of white supremacy has on the black and brown communities. When the community rose up to uh, to exercise their First Amendment right to protest against the police, shot a Black man in the back in front of his children, police enabled white supremacist militia members. The result of this failure was bloodshed, the loss of lives and trauma. No one should be targeted, threatened, or attacked for exercising our First Amendment right to protest. It is our right to protest and demand justice. We'll be watching to ensure no one, including law enforcement, interferes with that right. And as we reimagine public safety we need to create solutions not extend that safety to all community that extend that safety to all communities including those that have been systematically neglected and preyed upon there you have it so i was wrong about the fact that the aclu was likely to avoid it but i was absolutely right about the fact that if they were to weigh in they were going to weigh in in the most pro prosecutor anti-defendant anti-civil liberties Racially charged manner possible. They sound like Joy Reid. They sound like Chris Hayes. They sound like every New York Times op ed page editor. They sound like every liberal and Democrat and leftist in the United States when talking about these matters, which is why the ACLU has become a repulsive, fraudulent organization that doesn't give the slightest shit for civil liberties and only cares about the same liberal political values that the left, liberal left wing of the Democratic Party cares about. That's a civil liberties organization. Expressing rage that the prosecutors lost and a criminal defendant was acquitted. Let me say that again. A civil liberties organization, in quotes, angry that a criminal defendant was acquitted because the government failed to meet their constitutional burden of proving their guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, enraged that the prosecutors didn't win, and then feeding the public exactly the kind of racist and racialized rhetoric that is designed to continue to tear us apart and to ensure that violence continues. Do you see how many times they just omitted crucial facts? They didn't, of course, mention that the three people Kyle Rittenhouse shot were white. They repeatedly implied he was a white supremacist. They acted as though he had gone and just randomly shot protesters for the crime of protesting. Instead of, prove, instead of mentioning what is now the indisputable fact that the only people he shot were people who took actions that put him into the reasonable perception, according to the jury, that they were likely to be a violent threat to his life. He didn't shoot anybody who didn't chase after him, who didn't in some way point a gun at him or try and bash his head in with a skateboard. None of that appears in the ACLU's assessment of this case because they too, like the corporate media, with whom they're always partnered now only have one mission and that is to disseminate a highly ideological propagandized racialized view of the world that has absolutely nothing to do with civil liberties except for their willingness to trample over them in order to pursue that agenda so i'm really glad you asked about the ACLU statement i mean i have to say as jaded as I was in advance before I I saw it, before my producer showed it to me, um, about what they might do. That actually shocked even me. I thought they would at least nod like in a cursory way to the, the virtues of due process and the rights of a criminal defendant, the thing that the organization was created to defend. They have no interest in that anymore. None. Zero. They couldn't care less about any of that. They just have their race driven ideological agenda. And that's the only thing that they're interested in abusing their civil liberties branding that is now a complete and utter fraud, a consumer fraud in order to advance. So I'm sure there's all kinds of things going on on cable news, on social media, um, that merits all kinds of disgusting comment. I don't even feel like I need to go look at it in order to know exactly what is being said. So I'm going to close for now by just leaving you with my last impression, which is that I think the thing that is plaguing us more than anything, and this is the article I wrote just two days ago at Substack, obviously before I knew the verdict, is the complete refusal on the part of so many people, particularly those in the media and politics, to embrace principles, which by their nature, principles, are applicable universally to everyone and apply them as faithfully as possible without regard to one's uh, view of the politics or ideology of the person. Just basic principles, like you have the right to speak freely without being punished for your views, like that you have the right not to go to prison unless the government proves your guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. We are so far away from the ability to take those apolitical principles that used to unite us across the political spectrum and apply them faithfully. Everything now is put through the grinder of which side of the political divide that you're on. And if you deviate in any way from the tenets of mainstream American liberalism, the orthodoxies of CNN, the New York Times, the NBC News, the Democratic Party, and big tech, you are instantly branded the enemy. You are instantly branded a white nationalist and a white supremacist. I have no doubt that you can go right now on Twitter and find hundreds if not thousands of tweets accusing me or anybody else who defended the acquittal of being an apologist for white supremacists, of being having dropped my mask and proving that I'm a right-wing extremist. The idea that we can evaluate anything through the prism of principles rather than these extremely tendentious ideological categories has been lost almost completely. And if we don't have principles that we all agree on as kind of the basic rules of the game of our society, if we don't have that, if we abandon that and in every case decide what we believe based exclusively on what tri- what's best serves the interest of our tribe or what best subverts the interest of the opposing tribe, there's no way to have a functioning society like that. That is essentially the framework for a civil war. When you stop even viewing the people with different political views as you have as being human which is how they talked about Kyle Rittenhouse, like he was a subhuman demon, like a monster, incapable of even crying under the most trying of circumstances. Once you start doing that, once you start demanding that everybody recite the orthodoxies of your tribe and adopt the perspective that your tribe demands you have upon pain of being accused of some horrible crime, like being a white supremacist or a racist or being the enemy and on the other side, society is not really a viable entity except a name only. It's just two tribes in the war mindset that all is fair in love and war. And that we don't care if Kyle Rittenhouse was guilty or not. We don't care if the state presented evidence to prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. We care about only one thing. He's a right-wing extremist because he loves guns like the police and said good things about Trump. He's a white supremacist, as evidenced by the same things. And that's all we need to know. We want him in prison for that reason alone. That's where we are. That's what this discourse has become. And that's the reason why I think this trial is going to resonate far, far beyond the narrow question of whether Kyle Rittenhouse was guilty of murder or not. I have no problem reaffirming my adamant view that acquittal was the only just outcome in this case on all charges. And I know what that is going to provoke for having said that, but unless you're willing to endure those attacks, unless you're willing to say, I don't care what accusations you make about me, I'm still going to adhere to my principles. You don't really have any credibility to condemn others for failing to do so. So. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more discussion about the Rittenhouse verdict as this discourse evolves. I'm sure I'm going to write about it more. I'm sure I'm going to be doing more videos about it. Um, For those of you who are asking where things stand, the prosecution essentially said what they had to say. The community has spoken. The acquittal is the verdict. I seriously doubt the prosecution has any options uh, to try and overturn the acquittal. It's almost impossible for the prosecution to do. I seriously doubt they're going to try. Kyle Rittenhouse will remain acquitted, found not guilty of any crimes. Kyle Rittenhouse is not a criminal under the laws and the constitution of our country, and that will not change. So that's really, it's a pretty simple outcome from the perspective of journalism and, and the law. It's the political ramifications that are going to be a lot more complex and we will continue to follow them. Thanks for uh, taking the time to join me on this live stream and and for listening.
0: That's Glenn Greenwald. Yeah, you can find his work all over the place. I think it's greenwald.substack.com. Is that where it is? Something like that. So, uh, on this week of Thanksgiving, kind of a shitty way to start it, but, I mean, that's where we're at. So, the truth is important. And I think the. The points he makes about how far the nation is from believing in principles, from applying them evenly to everybody, to covering those with vigor and making sure that truth gets out there, and that's a function of journalism and reporting and things like that, does not exist anymore in our country. Very rare. And so where does that take the nation in this political war that goes on? Good question, right? So, on that somber note, um, have a great Monday. I'm Mike McNamara of the Salt Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for making this part of your day. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving week. I'll be back tomorrow and Wednesday. On that note, I'm out.